Welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. Thank you to Jared for leading our singing. And uh, first time that I've ever had the opportunity to sing the first song that we sang together tonight. Beautiful song. And so appreciate Jared leading that, introducing us to that song. But a lot of, uh, lot of meaning in that song. So thank you. If you're visiting with us, as always, we encourage you to come back to be with us. We're very grateful for your presence. We want you to know that you're an honored guest as always. If you're looking for a church home, we would like nothing more than for you to come and join hands with us and be a part of the work here. I know that our elders would be more than happy to talk to you, answer any questions you might have, encourage you as you think about the work here. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Samson and Delilah. And for the sake of time and really maybe to condense the material that we have, what I want to do is just give you what I believe to be somewhat of a sketch of chapters 13 through 16 in the book of Judges because that's the context in which we read about the life of Samson and also Delilah. And you remember the Judges, that was a dark day a dark time in the history of the Israelite nation. For some three centuries, God's people, uh, they followed what I would call a series of cycles. They would live in obedience to God, and then they would become wayward. God would raise up an oppressor. They would later cry out to God, and He would deliver them through a judge. And then, over a period of time, they'd remain faithful, go back to their old ways, and the cycle repeats. And so, in Judges chapters 13 through 16, we have an account of Samson. And he was raised up by God to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. And so, we're going to talk about that. I want to just very quickly set for you what I believe to be the four sections in chapters 13 through 16. First, we read of his birth. And then his behavior. Thirdly, we have what I would consider to be his battles, and he was a warrior. And then finally, his brokenness, and we might even add to that his blessings, because he is, as you well know, mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. And sometimes that's difficult to understand how Samson could have been a man of faith identified by the writer there in Faye's Hall of Fame in light of some of the things that we read about in the history of the judges. So I want to begin. What I want to do, I want to just very quickly call attention to the birth of Samson. And then from that, what I'd like to do is just share with you some lessons. I want to encourage you this week, go home, read chapters 13 through 16, and maybe look at this brief outline, just the four sections and you'll get an idea of what we're talking about tonight. It'll help you in your study. But I want to begin by looking at chapter 13 in verse 1. The text tells us, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. And there was a certain man named Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. Now look at verse 3. This is really the main reason I want to just call attention to chapter 13 and the birth of Samson. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren, 
and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. The angel of Jehovah, or the angel of the Lord, identified by the writer of Judges here, I believe is the second member of the Godhead. This is an instance in the Old Testament wherein we are introduced to the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, drop down very quickly and look down in verses 17 and 18. In 17, chapter 13, verse 17, Manoah said to the angel, angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Now listen to what the angel of Jehovah said. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? You remember in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah there talking about the coming of the Messiah, the fact in chapter, matter of fact, in chapter 7, verse 14, if you recall, Isaiah foretold of the Messiah being born of a virgin. And Matthew documents that for us in chapter 1. In chapter 9 at verse 6, he identifies this Messiah to come. He said his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So, we're talking about the second member of the Godhead here. That's, I think, a study in and of itself. A very compelling thought. You know, there are some people that have the idea that Jesus was a created being. Well, the Lord, as the second member of the Godhead, has always existed. He had no beginning point. He has no ending point. Uh, he was the agent by which the world was made. But here we're introduced to the angel of Jehovah. You remember back in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was visited on the backside of Horeb? And the instructions given were to remove your sandals. The ground whereon you're standing is holy ground. I believe that was another instance of the second member of the Godhead. And then also in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, if you go over to John chapter 12, you'll find that the reference there is to the Christ, the second member of the Godhead. So I think that's an interesting study. What I want to do now for the time that we have, is just look at some very practical lessons that emerge out of a study of the, of the life of Samson and Delilah. And so, let's just begin. I've got seven lessons that come out of a study of the life of this man and Delilah. And so, first and foremost, to understand but as you begin examining the record, Samson was what I would call self-willed. And sadly, one of the real problems that he had in his life was that he would not listen to reason and he ignored the Word of God. And you may ask the question, well, how do you know that? Well, look over in chapter 14 for a minute. Look at chapter 14. You remember in chapter 14, verse 1, the text tells us, the passage read a moment ago, that Samson went down to Timnah, saw a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines, went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then listen to the pleading of his mother and father. They said, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among my people 
that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And then here's what Samuel said. Get her for me, for she pleases me. Therein lies the problem. Now, if you go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, what was it God said concerning the children of Israel when they made their way into the promised land? They were not to intermarry, were they? There was a reason for that. Go back and look just very quickly at Deuteronomy chapter 7. And listen to what the record has to say concerning the children of Israel. In chapter 7, Moses said, When the Lord your God, verse 1, brings you into the land which you go to possess, and he said, And has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. When the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. That was one of the problems in the lifetime of Samuel. The children of Israel did not displace the Canaanite people. As a result of that, they faced a lot of trouble. Now look at verse 3. God said, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Why? Here it is. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So God had very specific reasons why the children of Israel were not to intermarry. Now, having said that, there's a statement made by Amos the prophet in the long ago that I think is relevant to what we're talking about. In terms of choosing people to associate with, whether it be friends or a mate, Amos in the long ago asked this question, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Samson sadly ignored what the Scripture had to say, and not only did he ignore what the Scriptures had to say, but he ignored the wise or sage advice of his parents. Now listen, that is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, what Paul said? Paul writes, be not deceived, evil companionship will do what? Corrupts good morals, doesn't it? Think about another man, a very famous individual in the Old Testament, a fellow by the name of Solomon. There were a lot of noteworthy attributes in the life of Solomon. Solomon had a lot of worthy, I think, traits. But one of, the, one of the problems that he faced in his lifetime was he associated with the wrong kind of people. And how'd that work out? They turned his heart away from following the Lord. Those of you that are here tonight that have yet to marry, I would encourage you. I would strongly encourage you to marry a Christian. Now look, I don't have any say in the matter but I would encourage you to choose somebody that thinks like you do and that has the same goals or aspirations that you do, and that is you want to go to heaven, don't you? And so find somebody that, that will 
identify with your way of thinking. And there have been a lot of folks that have married outside the church. They've been able to convert their mate, and that's a wonderful thing. But there are always exceptions, aren't there? There are always individuals that marry outside the church, and sometimes that brings a lot of heartache into a marriage. Remember years ago, when I was just a boy, my parents had some very close, close friends in the church, the congregation that we attended. And sadly, my dad's friend passed away, succumbed to cancer. And I remember running into, well, my folks, well, the wife who was left behind, I remember running into her years later. And one of the first things that she told me was that she had remarried. And then she said she married somebody who was a member of a denomination. And I thought, why do you do that? I understand love and attraction and all that. But the point is, please think about who you want to spend your life with. And I would encourage you again, think very carefully about marrying a Christian. Not to say that people in the church don't have their problems. Not to say that problems can't arise within the context of that kind of marriage. But I'm just saying, you know, if you want to be on safe ground, that, that's what I would encourage. Now, there's a second thing. Samson was supposed to be separated unto God. Why? Because he was a Nazarite, wasn't he? Go back and look again at chapter 13 very quickly. Look at Judges chapter 13. I want you to see something with regard to this Nazarite vow. Now this goes back to the book of Numbers in chapter 6. And you remember God said concerning this Nazarite and also the mother of Samson. He said, Indeed now, verse 3, You are barren, have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, not to eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from. He did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So here is a man that was to be separated unto God for the duration of his life. And sadly, he violated that Nazarite vow, didn't he? Time and again. Well, what's the application of those of us who belong to the body of Christ? We have been sanctified, that's what the Bible says, sanctified or set apart. The word sanctification simply means to be set apart. Well, somebody says, well, from what? From the world. We are to be separated from the world. We are light in Christ. The world is filled with darkness. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2, he wrote to those who belonged to the church of God at Corinth and he said they were sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Once we obey the gospel of Christ, 
we have, as Paul said, been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So we are to live a sanctified life in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 6, you remember he identified some of the moral ills of that people in that day and time. In verse 11 he said, But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. So, as a child of God, we've got to understand we are to be distinctive and different from the world. Too many times we look at life through the lens of the world rather than looking at the world through the Word of God. And we fail to understand who we are, and maybe it's the case that we misunderstand whose we are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, at verse 9, do you remember what Peter had to say? He said, you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, listen to him, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom he has called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light, who in time past were no people, but now, he said, are the people of God. Samson was to have dedicated his life to Almighty God. He was to live by what we would call a very strict moral code. Are there binary laws in the life of a Christian? Is there a strict moral code that we're to adhere to? Didn't Paul say in Titus chapter 2, the grace of God's appeared bringing salvation to every man? Listen to him. Instructing or teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. People ought to be able to tell that we belong to God, that we're a child of God. Well, how so? By how we live, by how we carry ourselves on a daily basis. Our speech, our dress, our deportment, all of those things say something about who we are and whose we are. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you. Samson was known for his physical strength, wasn't he? When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he had tremendous physical power or strength. That was unusual. And God gave him that strength to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. You go back and read about the number of folks that he killed. Killed a lion on one occasion. Here's the problem. As strong as he was physically, he was weak spiritually. We might say he was incredibly weak spiritually. Again, go back and look at chapter 14. When he saw that young lady from Timnah, what was it he said? Go get her for me. Why? Because she pleases me. Did God outline some boundaries in terms of who they could associate with, in terms of who they could marry? Yes, He did. But He was weak. He was guided by the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you go back to the Garden of Eden and look at how the devil, the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve. I can tell you this. The same tactics that were used in the garden were used on Jesus when He was tempted as outlined by Matthew and Luke. In Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, 
And he uses the very same tactics today. So, how strong are you spiritually? Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we are to exercise ourselves unto godliness. He said bodily exercise profits a little. It didn't say there's anything wrong with exercising and trying to build our physical body. Matter of fact, I think it's a good thing. But the emphasis is not on the outward man, but rather it's on the inward man. And there are some people in the church today, maybe they possess a lot of strength. And maybe they have the ability to lift a lot of weights, but spiritually speaking, they're nowhere near what they need to be. Let me tell you what, the only way that you can become strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might is by spending time in this book that we call the Bible. And by trying to live according to the precepts set forth in Scripture. And so, I think that's a challenge to all of us. Listen to what Peter said, grow in grace and knowledge. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a command, isn't it? To grow, to learn more, to know more. You know, there's a day and time in churches of Christ when we were known as Bible-believing, Bible-toting people. There were people that if asked a question on the job, in the community, they could quickly cite what the Bible had to say. I'm not sure we are a Bible-toting, Bible-believing people like we once were. And you know why that is? We don't study. And the only way that you can know the Bible is to meditate, to study on the truth of God as the psalmist did day and night. So how strong are you? Look at the life of Samson. Had he been spiritually strong, he could have avoided a lot of heartache and a lot of pitfalls in his life, couldn't he? Could that be said about us? Some of, the, some of the mistakes and some of the problems that we have in life or maybe that we have had in life, is it possible they have been self-inflicted? It's not that we didn't have information to help us overcome those problems or those difficulties. We just chose to ignore it. You know, sometimes we live below the level of knowledge we possess. Solomon or rather Samson, knew what, knew what the law of God had to say. He just ignored it. Now there's another thought. Samson learned something about the danger of playing with temptation, didn't he? Samson played with temptation, and listen, he lost. Turn over to chapter 16 very quickly. Look at chapter 16. You remember, again, the text tells us that Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come, they surrounded the place, lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. Samson lay low till midnight, then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city, the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now that's a distance of about 30 to 40 miles. Took incredible strength to do that. But he did it. Now note if you would verse 4. 
Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Her name means tender or delicate. That's not a fit description of her. She was anything but tender or delicate. I would say she was a snake in the grass. And she sold him out, didn't she? She wanted to know the source of his strength. Now, you know, you think about, think about this for a minute. She asked him the source of his strength. Four times he toyed with it, didn't he? You know, one time he should have learned his lesson, shouldn't he? Because once he was bound, the Philistines came upon him. And then a second time. Could I just say this? And I don't mean this disrespectfully in any sense of the word. But when you read chapter 16, and you think about this exchange that's going on between Samson and Delilah, on the part of Samson, he was just dumb. Dumb. We might say dumb as a rock. I mean, you know, I mean, do you not see what this woman's doing? How often in life do we see how close we can get to the fire before we're burned? You know, if you play with fire enough, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned. You play with temptation enough, eventually you will fall prey to the devil, won't you? James said, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away, listen to him, by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So here is this lady, a lady that supposedly, the text says he loved her. He saw something in her that he liked, and she's baiting and entrapping him, and he's taking the bait every time. Why would you do that? And then, in light of, you know, we say in baseball, three strikes and what, you're out. Four times, four different times, he gives her, the first three, he gives her a false report concerning the source of his strength. But the final time, he told her. Should he have been surprised? No. Well, why? You let the cat out of the bag, didn't you? Now, another thought here. Samson was reckless with his behavior. You know, sometimes, sadly, when it comes to our Christian life and our spirituality, we, like Samson, are reckless. I mean, you look at, look at the life of Samson, and I want to just maybe throw into the mix here the consequences. And note, if you would, what is said. Drop down, if you would. You remember in verse 20, after he finally revealed 
the true source of his strength. The text says that Delilah said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and note, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze fetters. He became a grinder in the prison. Here is a man that has become blind because of reckless behavior. They blinded him and then they bound him. And what does that say about the slavery of sin? You know, Jesus said on one occasion that those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. Samson was a judge in Israel. I mean, he was something very special. And now he has been blinded, he's bound, and then note if you would, they belittle him. Look again at chapter 16. The text tells us in verse 21 again, he became a grinder in the prison. In verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. And then the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Now the root of this false god, D-A-G, means fish. And some have surmised or said in days gone by that supposedly this god had the torso of a man, but the body or the legs of the tail of a fish. So they're worshiping this pagan god. And listen to what they said. Samson gave them opportunity to flaunt their God in the face of Israel and in the face of God, the true God. They said, Our God has delivered us into the hands of Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. Here's a thought. Sin will make you look foolish. You ever thought about that? You ever seen somebody that's inebriated, drunk, and they act like a fool? There's a reason for that. When people play with temptation and get caught up in sin, Oftentimes, they do things that they would never do. It's true of alcohol, isn't it? Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink. It's perishing. Those who engage in it, he said, are not wise. So, here is this judge in Israel. He's been blinded. He's bound and belittled. They're making fun of him. Samson was said to have judged Israel for a period of 20 years. And you look at his life and you think about the things that he did, the things that he accomplished. He did some good things. Note, if you would, the continuation down in verse 25 very quickly. 
When their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that they may perform for us. They called for Samson from the prison. He performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you see, need to make some changes. At this point in time, Samson begins to think about the God of heaven. And so, here's what the text says. Samson said to the lad who held him by his hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. The temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. In fact, there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who watched while Samson performed. Then Samson calls to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on the left. He said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. The temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. The dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. In a lot of ways, Samson was a disappointment, wasn't he? Sadly, he could have done so much more if his life had been in tune with the will of God. Did God use him in a great way? Yes, He did. And very quickly, I want to just go back and make one quick notation before we close. Turn back very quickly and look at chapter 14. I thought about something that I wanted to mention. You remember when Samson said to his parents that he saw a woman of the Philistines that he wanted to marry. And he said, get her for me for she pleases me. Verse 4 says, His father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, I don't believe that God sanctioned the violation of His law back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I don't believe that a bit. God doesn't override our free will, does He? But I think what the text was saying is that Samson made a bad decision, a poor choice. But God could use that to His glory. Because when it's all said and done, God will be glorified, won't He? God used pagan people in days gone by for His purpose. And He could use Samson on this occasion. So you look at the life of a man who was supposed to have been a servant of God, a judge, he could have done so much more. In closing, let me ask this question about your life. When the record is finally closed on your life, what will be said about you? Will people say about you, you know what, he or she lived a full life. He or she was faithful to God for the entirety of their life. Or will it be the case that they'll say of you, what if? What if he had done this? What if she had not made that choice or done this or that? Right now we're writing a book on our own life. 
Tonight we looked at Samson and Delilah. A lot of great lessons emerge out of a study of Samson and Delilah. Might be that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. We want to close this service tonight by encouraging you to think about your spiritual life. To recognize that as Jesus said, I've come to give life to the human family. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What would you need to do to become a child of God? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins as they did on Pentecost Day. Be baptized into Christ so your sins can be washed away. And then, as a member of the body of Christ, live a faithful life. And the promise is you'll enjoy that crown of life. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to His cause. Maybe your life is a disappointment to you and to others. You can change that right now. You can come to Christ. You can come back to Christ. Acknowledge your shortcomings and failures. And listen, as God's people, we can pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?